partners, and welcome to the Rolling Mall Saloon, the Leicester Tigers fans podcast, uh, which has been, I'll be quite honest, twiddling its thumbs this weekend. No game to watch, no game to look forward to. Uh, I think I've made this joke before, but it turned out that I've got these two little people that live in my house and I have to look after them at the weekend. What's all that about? Elliot, how was your weekend? <laughs> it was all right, to be fair. It was, it was very, very quiet. Um, my wife was on a hen do, so I had the... Uh um house to uh, myself so if you felt it was a Leicester City game on um Saturday afternoon which yeah. was a welcome for the first time I think in about two months I can actually say Leicester City won which cheered me up uh, immensely um, a fantastic atmosphere as well actually and for the first um, time good. in two months I watched match of the day yeah I'd about to say you, you you've managed to you have a, a there is a direct correlation between whether you watch match of the day or not and whether Leicester win and match of the day has sadly not been in the Cooper household I, I was that pissed which off. Said, which is probably about right. About right. I was that pissed off of how Leicester City were playing that I actually deleted the series record link for match of the day. I was like, I'm, I'm fed up of this shit of having to watch highlights of us lose every week. Um, and so I actually reset the series record link because all of a sudden I've got this horrible thing called hope again. I know it is good. Well, to be fair, they they um, they played real well on Saturday afternoon and they um, managed to scrap out a. Um, a great win and the cele- goal celebrations. I know there's quite a few Leicester City fans as well as Tigers fans who listen to um, this podcast. I'm sure all of them who were at the game on Saturday would have enjoyed how great the atmosphere was. Um, it is fantastic. What I know we'll link into it um, with our conversation later on in this podcast, but it is amazing what relegation does to uh, to a crowd when you've got something to uh, to fight for and um, it gets everyone energised. But no, so yeah, that was good. And then Saturday, Saturday evening, as I couldn't be bothered to put cook, I ordered a pizza, which was um, which was fantastic. And then Saturday, uh, Sunday, my wife came home and she was very, very tired. So to make her feel better, I went and bought some McDonald's. So I ate like an absolute champ this weekend. <laughs> exactly. He's like, you've got your five a day. Big Mac. Uh, I, well, I don't know. Give me a dom- What was it? Domino's or Papa John's did you go for? I had, no Papa John's. I took loyalty to Tigers uh, and their sponsors. I got a Papa John's on Saturday night very and then I had a Big Mac uh, Sunday night because I'm an af- athlete. Uh, the works at Papa John's, to be fair, is pretty decent. I'll give him that. That's quite a decent choice. I, I had all the meats, I think. There was a chicken fajita one, which looked very naughty. Um, we, and there's, that, to be fair, there's actually two or three. I'm not being paid by Papa John's here, but there's three or four I could have chosen. You should um, be I'm, being paid. Well, we should be being paid for it, at least in pizza. I, yeah, if I was ever going to become an influencer, takeaways would be my uh, would be my gig. Yeah, very good. You'd be like that guy, Big John, who goes, bosh. Like everything, you just point at your takeaway food. My weekend was so middle-aged, it was mainly full of kind of injuries and bad cooking. So uh, Thursday, I, I keep bragging to people about dad strength. Dad bod hit me, but dad strength is also a thing. And I was trying to hit my target of 200 kg on the squat, and I was doing 190 and feeling very good, very cocky, and my lower back spasmed as I was doing it. And I was pretty sure I slipped a disc. I was supposed to be doing this uh, run Tough Miller to raise money for uh, motor neuron disease and the 4Ed Foundation in two weeks. I've been panicking, but luckily, lots and lots of codeine and ibuprofen seems to have done the trick, and I think it's just a strain. So I've been moaning about that to my wife for the last sort of three days and getting very little sympathy, I might add. Uh, and then I cooked a, as a curry man, you'll like this, I cooked a lamb sarg last night, and I oh, accidentally well put in one tablespoon rather than one teaspoon of the extra hot chilli powder, and all I will say is it blew my fucking mouth off, and I don't want to tell you what it blew off th- this morning. Absolutely dreadful. Oh, well done. Yeah, tasty, but I mean, you know, 
cleared you out a little bit. Oh, fair play. Rather well, than that, success. Yeah, it's, exactly. Basically, I know what I'm cooking you when uh, you next come to stay. It's going to be a, a cuisine. Well, I've never, you'll I've never, never, I've never invited me down. You've never invited me down. Oh, well, okay. Well, here's the invite coming. Next next away game we're playing in the West Country. You're coming down and you're getting an absolute ring stinger from me. Actually, that sounds a bit weird. You're getting a, a hot curry, just to specify, a hot curry. Anyway, we've actually... Uh, don't have a game to talk about, but we have what I like to think still got a good uh, show to talk about. We've got Vicky McQueen, who's going to help us preview the Les Tigers women's final against Cheltenham Tigers, um, taking place at Twickenham this Sunday. Uh, that's just me talking to Vicky because um, Elliot was taking his job seriously and I managed to slack off and get half an hour to go and talk to her. That's something to look forward to. And then we've also got Charles Richardson from The Telegraph to come and do sort of an impromptu forum where we basically moan about rugby in general and Talk about Tigers a little bit too. Uh, we've actually recorded that bit. Uh, he's looking good, isn't he? Annoyingly so. Yeah, really good beard. Really irritating. Uh, if you want to leave a review for us, please do so. We really appreciate all the reviews you guys leave. It's really lovely. Uh, you can leave a review on Apple or on Spotify. Also, as I mentioned earlier, I'm doing this run in a couple of weeks uh, to raise money for the Motor Neuron Disease and for the Forehead Foundation. Please, please, please donate if you can. I know it's tough times for everyone. It's the pinned tweet on our Twitter handle. And our Twitter handle is at RollingMallPod. If you want to get in touch with us via email, our email address is therollingmall at outlet.com. Before we crack on, a quick thank you to our sponsors, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters, who are helping us put this all together. St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are a small team of coffee professionals, proudly born and bred in Leicester. Family owned and operated, they've been dedicated to perfecting the art of coffee roasting for the past 10 years, solely focused on sourcing, roasting and supplying some of the world's best specialty coffee to their customers across Leicestershire and the UK. They're passionate Tigers fans and St. Martin's have long-standing connections with the club and are proud to help caffeinate the players and staff in their efforts on and off the pitch. In an effort to help the fans wake up on match days, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are offering 20% off all coffee when listeners use the code ROLLINGBALL, that's all one word, on their website. So visit stmartinscoffee.co.uk to stock up on locally roasted specialty coffee and use the code ROLLINGBALL, all one word, to save 20% off your next purchase. Okay, not much to talk about in the beep, 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 beep news section, but we do have to give a quick shout out to uh, Leicester Tigers women's side who are on the quest for the club's first piece of silverware this season. Yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's good to, uh, they got the first shot at, first shot at glory. Um, I bet, you know, we're, we're recording this Monday night. I'm sure the nerves are, and the nerves and excitement, I think, is probably starting to, to build because it is a fantastic occasion to have a final, but a final at Twickenham as well. It's very special and it's great for in the first year, as we've always said, you know, first year of doing this, they get a Twicken and final out of it. It is um, absolutely amazing. What an incredible experience for a lot of the players as well who probably haven't played at Twickenham. It must be super exciting. And I think, say, do a proper preview with Vicky later on in the pod and we're going to talk about all the details of the ticketing and everything there. But in summary, tickets for the actual game itself are free. So if you're in London or you want to drive down, it's free. Uh, but the club is also putting on uh, some coaches as well. So get in touch with the club. And I think you can get, uh, leave from the crumby car park, can't you? It's about 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, for 20 notes. 20 of Her Majesty's pounds. Oh, His Majesty's. Forgot about that. Keep his Majesty's. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's talk about some signings and some rumours then. Um, shall we Shall we go rumours first? That's always quite fun, actually. Always. Let's do that. Let's do, let's do that. Uh, you've been getting your um, Nando's hot sauce bottle out, haven't you, mate? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, I believe um, that obviously we saw Nephi sadly leave us last week. Um, just a shout out to Nephi. I mean, I mean, we've not seen him as much this season, but you know, he is a big part of 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 taking us to becoming champions of England. I mean, you know, all uh, to be fair, every one of that first year, Steve, every one player that was involved in that of dragging us from being eleventh to sixth. I know it's not quite as exciting as winning the league, but that first year really set the standards of what and really rebuilt all of what Leicester is about. And Nephi was a massive part of that. And you know, fair play to Nephi, great player. You know, think terrifying about a 22 stone prop after Genji spent 50, mm. 60 minutes tackling the hell out of you and nailing the hell out of you. You look up and you've got off. Oh, we've seen off Genji and suddenly a 21, 22 stone Samoan prop comes ambling on who also can cause some damage and unbelievable jackaler. You yeah, know, I was that, about to say he's great over the ball, wasn't he? Yeah, you know, there's some great moments with with Nephi. I think we spoke about it in the um, when we were texting each other. You know, came off the bench in the final. Uh, you know, sometimes overlooked for actually big game player for us. He always played in the big occasions uh, for us. He was trusted to do that. That shows um, what a good player he was. And in the, the, the you know the Guy Porter last gasp victory down at Bristol, it was Nephi with the crucial carry. You know, in the midfield, we were mm-hmm. sort of going side from side. Ford was probing to see what we could get with Wiggy. It was Nephi that went up the middle, took two or three players onto him that set up the space for Fordy to snap and go, right, we're on, and to bust it out wide. It was, it was without Nephi, you don't get that try. So no, I, I think, and also, oh, I forgot to mention that his piece de resistance, his, uh, his infamous, <laughs> his infamous uh, chirp in the uh, East Midlands derby back in 2020, when he offered out, to be fair, he probably got a bollocking because he, he got a penalty overturned for us, but we'd won a penalty. Uh, as always, it's away in the in East Midlands derby. There was an ensuing scrap. And in the middle of that scrap, he was heard on the referee's mic. Uh, Wayne Barnes was the referee uh, and he was overheard on the referee mic offering out half a Northampton um, pack for a scrap in the car park after the game, <laughs> uh, which is superb on its own rights. And purely because Barnes had to go to, to Tom Young's and say, well, you would have had a penalty, Tom. But your prop, your prop over there is just offered out half an Northampton team for scrap in the car park. I am going to have to overturn it. <laughs> I, um, I love it. It's so, so sort of like local third team, Matt. I've got a lot of time for that attitude. Kind of annoying, obviously, <laughs> the penalty overturned. But um, yeah, pretty iconic. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, uh, Nephi, for everything that you've done over the last few years. Fantastic player. Best of luck at the Waratahs. But Tom West, though, do you think this opens the door for us keeping a guy who has been, frankly, a revelation since he joined? Yeah, I think I think from what I've heard, that is the um, that is the case that is being done. As always, I'll caveat caveat this stuff with saying might not be the case, but um, that's what I've been told. Is that what we, that, that's the deal that has been done? If Waratahs um, have picked up Nephi, that allows us to do a deal to keep Tom West on a longer contract into next year and beyond, which is a, a fantastic bit of business. Westy has been superb for us, um, fantastic player, really good option for us. And if you look at our loose head stocks for, for next year, if he is, you know, if he does stay on, you know, Cronin, Westy and, and Whitcomb is a fantastic set of three. I don't think there's any weaknesses there. In terms of uh, other players where there's some rumours, uh, looking a bit wider, there's a certain big unit from Exeter who uh, has a question mark over his future. Yeah, this one, I can't take credit for this one. Um, Rob Watts, who is a listener um, to us, is has heard this shout and um, I'm not going to reveal his sources, not for me to say, but his sources on this one are pretty, pretty strong. So um, fair play to, to Rob on this one. Um, look, there is a few bit of whispers coming out of Exeter as well, actually, on on, on this. So 
um, seems to be gaining some sort of traction. But Solomon Akata is um, looks to be or is on is rumoured to be on the way to Leicester. Um, covers twelve for fourteen at the moment for Exeter. Um, big unit um, has played at uh, the Brumbies, so he's a friend of and knows Dan McKellar. So there is a relationship there already. He's also played um, rugby league for Lee um, in uh, rugby league in this country. I quite I like it. And you know, there's a couple of um, you know there is a couple of questions about his injury record, but actually if you look at it, he's played. It's one of those where the Exeter website says he's made, he's made 17 appearances this year. Someone else said he's made 23. So the, the website might not be quite accurate. But either way, that's a, that's a really good return of, of games this season. And I think if you look at, if he plays 12, you look at Dan Kelly's obviously our first choice. But if you were to have three 12s and the likes of Dan Kelly, Catter and um, Jimmy Gopper, you know, I think that's a really good, healthy bit of depth there in the 12 position. I think it adds a bit Variety of physicality well for us. In terms of what, how they play. Yeah, I think that's what we, me and you both text each other when we were sort of discussing it, going, it's, it's another option. You know, it's another way of playing. We've spoken about it, how do we want to play? It gives us another method. It allows us to rest DK when his, his workload is is coming up. We can, you know, we can drop a quality player back in. No, so I think it's really good. I think it's a really good signing. It gives us another option to play with. And it adds some depth um, and covers a couple of positions as well. So multi, multi-purpose. So yeah, I think to me, if it happens, I think it's a a really decent pickup. I think it'd be really clever bit of business, uh, particularly if we can get him fit, which we've got a good record with uh, in recent seasons as well. So fingers crossed for that. Now uh, moving off field, a lot of chat has been about attack coach, and there's a rumor floating about here as well, isn't there? Now I would, um, I. If they were to do a Nando's rate on this one, I would call this one extra hot. I think it's as close to 100% as you can get it. It might even be 100% and the the contracts are signed. Um, Alan Dickens is the um, um, currently the England under-20s head coach and he has been linked with us uh, as joining us uh, for next year as part of Dan, Dan McKellar's coaching team and join us as attack coach. He is formerly of Northampton Saints, which is quite ironic that Vesti is at Northampton and we take Dickens... Uh, uh, for, uh, for Leicester, which is which is a great um, switcheroo, which I do find quite amusing. Um, I, as I say, this is about I have I'm supremely good authority on this one. I'm not obviously going to say who else has come from, but this is as close to 100. Um, I think as you can get it. So I think it's fairly, um, I think fairly confident to say this is going to happen unless something something dramatic now happens, which could happen. You know, that's the life. Um, but yeah, I think this is going to happen. They will be joining us as attack coach. I'm not. I don't know too much about him, so I can't say if it's a good fit for us. The one a few things I would say is that he will know quite a lot of our squad from younger under twenties duty. Quite a lot of our boys over the last five, six years have, have gone through um fat system. So he will have one knowledge of our boys, but also the relationship as well, which I think is a good a, a good thing. Um Matt Smith, um obviously our assistant coach, has been his assistant at England under twenties this year. So there is again a working relationship there. So that's a, a a working reference, if nothing else, back into the club to say that, you know, there's there's something there um, as a heads up anyway. And, you know, I think it, it, it's a, it is a really good, I think it feels a good fit for us um, in terms of, his, you know, it's hard to say with England in the 20s because your wider pathway system is a little bit of a mess. But, you know, Dan McKellar obviously is, for me, Dan McKellar has obviously done his research here. McKellar knows a lot of attack coaches across Australia both in rugby league and rugby union. He knows a lot of attack. They put the feelers out for attack coaches across the rugby world. I, If Mikel is comfortable with it, 
that to me is probably um, enough for me to be um, comfortable myself with it. So, if, yeah. Well, well, that's it, isn't it? Because, you know, the under-20s haven't been exactly ripping the world apart over the last couple of years. And I've, I've seen a few people perhaps, you know, understandably say, well, you know, what makes him qualified to be the attack coach? But as you say, I think that the pathway issues at England level as have been exposed recently, actually by Charles, um, who's coming on later, have been far, far deeper than just the head coach. And he's doing the best with what he's got to work with. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, like you say, the fact that we've got a very, very thorough process now that involves both uh, senior recruitment within the club and hopefully as well Dan McKellar. And therefore, they've obviously seen something that they're quite um, attracted to that should hopefully fit the club very well. So I think it's, you know, you've got to, Welcome him, uh, welcome him with full support, open arms, and uh, get excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of those where, as we've got into with um, with Charles, I don't see Dan McKellar wanting to change too much. It's not going to rip it up and, and start again, which is obviously a good thing. But you know, I think if Alan Dickens has got a way of playing that doesn't compromise the principles of how McKellar wants to play. I think that's a good thing. If he wants to play a bit more rugby, expand it out slightly, but within the confines of what how McKellar sees the game, then that's a nice balance to it and it feels a good fit. And, you know, Matt Everard is, um, I believe, on a relatively long deal with Leicester, which is good because Everard has been, I think, a revelation this, yeah. this year. I think it's been superb ever since coming in, covering both defence and attack, um, which is a testament to his hard work, really. So I think it feels a nice coaching team that's starting to come together obviously the question marks over Tom Harrison whether he goes to England or not but you're starting to I think we'll start to see a couple of announcements now coming in towards the end of the season and it feels like a good group is being brought together from a coaching perspective Right, very, very lucky to be joined by Vicky McQueen. Now we can call sort of our old friend of the pod because we've had you on a few times now. Uh, you're looking fit as a fiddle. Thank you very much. I'll take that considering I'm an eight weeks post-hip operation. So no, thanks. <laughs> I am feeling, yeah, getting back into training a little bit. So that's been brilliant for, for me mentally because, yeah, I'm not one to to uh, not be able to train and have to sit still. It's uh, a bit of an issue for me. So Stewing on, a, stewing on a sofa is not for you. It's not for me. No, I've decided it's definitely not for me. And yeah, maybe a day of it. And then that was it. I was done. <laughs> but, by the way, sorry, if you hear me swear, it's because the cat's just jumped up on my lap again. And he always does this when I'm sort of in a meeting or trying to talk to someone. It's, it's kind of, of annoying. It, um, the pod. I'm happy with that. I like that. <laughs> exactly. Let's talk about the, the semi-final win. Obviously, you're the first Tigers team this year to get to Twickenham. Hopefully, the men can follow suit in a couple of weeks. But um, Elliot made the joke about sort of doing basically the German tourist thing. If you're a Tigers fan, get down, leave your towel on a chair and hopefully come back in a few weeks. But semi-final win um, was against Old Albanian ladies, 31-19. One of the closer games of the season, I remember seeing the score and I, uh, I was maybe being a bit cocky because I thought, well, we'll walk that one. Um, tell us a bit about the game. Uh, was it a strange sort of atmosphere about it being kind of like a playoff game as opposed to a league game? Yeah, definitely. You know, the, the girls had not been put in that position before of it being knockout rugby. So I think that's a massive um, difference uh, mindset piece for them all. But, you know, they they responded really well. And, you know, we knew there'd be some nerves and, and there was, you know, it wasn't a perfect performance by by any means. But actually what, what it did show was a real resilience and, and determination to, to get a result when, 
you know, in the second half, we could have let it go, get away from us. So I think it told me some really good stories about, you know, the resilience of the girls and, and the ones that can really stand up to, to the battle. You know, we knew it'd be a difficult test against um, the second team in the South, because the South League predominantly, normally be the strongest league, according to sort of general feeling. Yeah. Came, they came second in that league, like narrow, narrowly second to Bath. So we knew we didn't we knew it'd be strong. Uh, we knew they got they've got very close things with Saracens. So we know there'd be a lot of dual registered players on show, which there was. Um, so you know we knew it was going to be really tough, but it was a bit of the unknown as well. So I think uh, we just focused on our own own performance and looked at what we could do. And we we came out in the first half really firing. They got their tails up a little bit in the second half and then we just had to really battle it out. And, you know, that resilience piece was really crucial towards the end of the, the second half. Tactically, and in terms of the players, what impressed you about how the girls performed um, on Sunday? I think territorial, we, we territorially, we played really well. Um, you know, we made sure we played in the right areas of the field. We used the boot when it was, when it was necessary. Um, but we did actually just, our patience was really good. You know, we actually retained possession really well. Um, we went through the phases, which I was, I was really happy about. Like I said, there was quite a few little errors, um, you know, that crept in. Would, would I'd suggest probably through a bit of nerves, you know, just a bit of unsettled. When they were coming at us in the second half, we were compounding errors. And that's not like us. So I think, you know, that'll be our sort of work on piece. Has been our work on piece moving into the final is just making sure we keep level heads. You know, when the pressure's on, we, we execute. And that's what we need to do moving forward for the premiership as well. I've got a confession. I really like... Whoever is writing up the match reports um, for the women's games on the website, because it's 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 written like a novel, like a page turner every time. Like like brilliant alliteration, you know, um, lots of I think there were discussion of this one about somebody crashing into somebody's rib cage, which is brilliant. Uh, who writes that so I can allocate compliments? Stanley Buckley, he's a, yeah, he's our comms guy. So Sam, we work with Sam and Stan. Yeah. Uh, Sam and the the double duo um but they they both obviously get involved in, in the women's program but stan's kind of been key to, to writing all the the write-ups so yeah he's avidly tapping away as the, the game's going on but yeah he's a, he's a great writer and you know, he's really become part of our team so you know it's nice to have when we see stan on the sideline we know everything's gonna be okay oh compliments to stan yeah I feel like i'm there on the on the live feed on the twitter feed and everything like that well done um going ahead you've got your old rivals the other tigers uh Cheltenham tigers waiting for us at twickenham and it, I feel a little bit sorry for Cheltenham, a bit like that, you know, in the football, they had Wrexham who ran away with that non-league thing and they had the second, I can't remember who it was they were playing, but basically they'd also had a fantastic season apart from being able to beat Wrexham. And it's almost the same for Cheltenham because they've had a fantastic season in their own right. The only team they've come a cropper against is against us. Um, what ha- what are you looking for against them in terms of what can you take from the two league games and, and how are you going to apply it in a final situation? Yeah, I think with the, with the two league games, you know, we're, we're confident. We're confident we've been there and we, we've, we've, we've beaten them. We've beaten them with them uh, throwing absolutely everything at us with, you know, lots of, I think they threw in a few um, USA Sevens players last time. So, you know, <laughs> That you know we can we can take what they throw at us, but obviously it's cup final rugby, you know, and it's just a, it's a whole new kettle of fish in terms of you know your mindset towards it, making sure that you you get your processes right and you stick to your game plan. And this week it's all about just another game for us. You know, we we are focusing on ourselves. We know their threats, and we you know we've worked through their threats and what we what we need to to look at before the game. But for us, it's got to be just another normal week of preparation. You know, 
like the saying, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, you know, we've, we've been had a successful season, so why change anything now? So we're literally just looking at ourselves, looking within our circle and, and just going to stay really strong, you know, and, and normalise the week as much as possible because, you know, it'd be a big game for some of the girls. Some of the girls won't have played at Twickenham before, a few have. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we can just embrace that and, and channel that into, um, you know, making our game more positive. I love the fact that you guys see sort of a dottering of US sevens players as kind of an exciting challenge, as opposed to me when I've unfortunately played in a sevens tournament where I think Fraser Waters was on the other side. And I basically started thinking of excuses to get myself subbed early so I didn't have to get hit by him. There's a difference in uh, elite mentality there. Um, it, you just mentioned it. So they're not, a few of the girls haven't played at Twickenham for, I suppose actually a lot of them probably haven't. Um, what's the sort of general feeling in camp that must be pretty excited about getting to go to um yeah sort of the home of English rugby and all that jazz yeah definitely and it, with it being on the weekend that it is as well um obviously the England uh France game Red Roses France games on Saturday with the I think there are over 50,000 tickets sold now for yeah. that so, you know it's coming off the back of that the next day is all about um uh well the community game officially um and then it goes through to all the cups for those that community so it's a great weekend of rugby for a great weekend of women's rugby you know to be a bit of a showpiece and yes it's been part of a bit of a historical weekend it's the first it's our first league season it's the first time we've got to Twickenham first opportunity we've had so everything's just really exciting that's what I'm trying to say to the girls you know we see this as an opportunity it's an exciting opportunity it's not a threat you know this is where we're at this is where we're meant to be you know this is where we are and, and let's embrace it and go and enjoy the challenge and you know we know Cheltenham are going to come at us of course they are you know they they will throw everything they can at us but you know if we're strong and, and we stick to what we know and, and we hit our potential you know and the, and the potential that we've got to to play in that game then we should come away victorious I suppose I was going to go and ask for some name drops of players, but that's not really fair. Um, I'll, I'll wait till the end of the season, perhaps, and then you can start kind of uh, dishing out compliments if you feel it's necessary. Uh, we, we are going to take credit for Georgia Westwood's try scoring feats. Basically, she she's always scoring since she came on the podcast. So, um, we'll, yeah, we'll take some credit where we can there. Um, <laughs> but going back to the sort, of, I suppose, the Twickenham factor is there. Any sort of tapping into the, the guys uh, at all who obviously were there last season about the experience as a whole, or, or do you think it's just a, it is a completely sort of different setup? So it, at the moment, it's just focusing on what you're doing. I mean, it's just focusing on ourselves. The lads have been brilliant. You know, they're all sort of congratulating us, and you know, really happy that we're you know we're the first to be there, and they're confident they're going to get there. And but I think, yeah, I don't think there's you know it's great to have those conversations. And like I said, there's a real one club mentality at the, at the moment. So you know, with the, the girls mix with the boys when they're around, and you know, vice versa. We've got our, um, our player awards evening tomorrow evening, where all the girls and boys are all together, or men and women, I should say. Um, so, you know, there is that one club approach 100% and, you know, those conversations will be had. But for us, it's about, you know, just doing the job and making sure that we're in the right place. You know, they, they've they got to focus on their their campaign and we've got to focus on ours. So the, the more we can focus on ourselves and just make sure we get everything right, um, you know, that's that's all, all the better for us and, and our, our uh, preparation, really. Uh, just to say, I think there's going to be a fair few fans travelling down. I think the club has had to put on a couple of extra coaches, haven't they, because of the... The demand to follow that that must be pretty exciting yeah i believe there's three coaches i think now so yeah fantastic you know we're, we're super chuffed we have been all year and I, and I have to say that because 
the crowd and the, and the fans mean everything to, to the girls and to, to our team. You know, we have, they've literally been with us from the start and that's really special. Um, I think that's something that they should be proud of, that they've been part of our, our journey as well. But yeah, we're really excited to, to have that travelling support and, you know, 100% that will make a big difference to, to us on the day. So yeah, we'll hopefully hear them from the from the pitch. Yeah, definitely. And I'm going to do now, Vicky, a very, very boring sort of plug for it, if you're right. So it's basically you kind of have to sit there like a lemon whilst I read off the off the sheet. Uh, but tickets are actually free for the final. So if you're a London-based Tiger or sort of around that sort of like posh neck of the woods, you can get there. You don't have to spend any money. It's free to just walk in, uh, watch and support the girls in the final against Cheltenham. Kickoff is on Sunday 30th of April at 3 p.m., if you're more locally based around Leicester, you can get on a return coach uh, from the club. It's 20 quid per person. Say, I think they're doing it on demand. So just basically keep keep banging on the door and hopefully the, the club will put something on. It's um, uh, coaches depart at 11am from the Crumbie car park uh, and free car parking at the Crumbie will be there at a first come first serve basis. So arrive at 10.45, quarter to 11, um, as make sure that you can leave on time. Um, I think that's just about everything, isn't it, Vicky? But I mean, apart from me to say, on behalf of Elliot, who can't be here because he's you know doing his proper job, uh, and yeah, I'm he's not slacking like I am. Uh, <laughs> is it, to say, uh, best of luck. We're so uh, it always sounds patronising to say proud, but as fans, we're so proud. Firstly, to have a women's team up and running, and to see how you guys have taken to it, um, it's a source of massive pride for fans, and and we know you're going to do us all proud, no matter what the result on on Sunday. So can't wait to see you go. Thank you ever so much. It's been great coming on again. And like I said, we fully appreciate all your support. So thanks to you and thanks to the fans. And we'll do a job for you on Sunday. Oh, get him. Excellent. Right. Thank you very much, Vicky. Uh, have a lovely rest, uh, rest of the week and best of luck with the prep. Hope that back feels better. See you soon. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Now, as we mentioned, we're very lucky to be joined again by, I suppose we could say, old friend of the pod. Actually, I said that earlier when I introduced Vicky McQueen, by the way, on an interview. So basically, it's just rehashing old old material now. But we've got Charles Richardson from the Daily Telegraph, good friend of ours. Charles, mate, how are you doing? I'm very well. I'm very well. Thanks for having me on again to your almost award-winning podcast. Podium-placed <laughs> podcast. Podium-placed podcast. Very good. Yeah, yeah Moral it. victors is the main thing yeah, against the right. evil corporate machine that is The Athletic. Yes. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. We don't want, yeah. They who must not be named. <laughs> Where did the Daily Telegraph podcast place, Charles? Um, I, I don't know what awards you're talking about. I have absolutely no idea. I don't think we were. I don't think we were even nominated. Uh, so, what you mean is you didn't pay to be shortlisted? I don't think. I think they made they made all the papers pay. Really? Yeah. Oh goodness me. Well, no. I I, I would say almost death. Well, we we that, that they, those sort of decisions happen far higher up the the pay scale and the pay grading than, than, than where I currently sit. So I'm not privy to them, but um, yeah, um, I, I, I'd like to think our reputation speaks for itself. And it is sleep- very, very good. I, I wish that actually you'd keep it on going all through the, the, the year because we have, too. To, we have to listen to Stephen Jones sometimes on the Times podcast. <laughs> it's kind of like slightly sadomasochistic, like listening to, to that. It's like, why am I hurting myself? But uh, anyway, look, we, we've dragged... Charles on for effectively what is going to be a bit of a mini forum. To, obviously, we've got no game to talk about from last week. We've got no game to look forward to this week. So we thought we'd sort of take stock a little bit of, I suppose, Tigers, the season gone, the players, the future, and actually a bit of the game in general because there's a, a few bits of chats. And thank you to everyone who's got in touch uh, with suggestions, things to talk about. Obviously, we can't 
discuss everything, but hopefully we'll list off some of the things that um, that you've sent over. Um, uh, Charles, did you get the agenda I sent across? I did get the agenda, yes. Yes, did not get an agenda. Right. Uh, so, Elliot, um, shall we go and start to talk about tackle height? Can you tell us what's happened this week? Oh, uh, you've had a, a meltdown um, on yep. full social media about yep. it. Um, another one? Yep, another another tantrum, yep. Um, effect- effectively, the um, yeah, the tackle height has now been announced for the amateur game and apparently it's the lower sternum and if you go above that you may be liable may be liable not definitely liable for uh, for sanction so clear as mud as always um i still don't understand why the badge or the nipple height wasn't chosen it seems that seems to be the um the perfect compromise for all parties so to be honest i just i, I just i just don't really see how how it's going to work in practice you know, you know, personally, I just think the best thing that's going to happen is that if you're in the community game and you're playing at, I don't know, the Rose and Crown second 15 plus versus the Dog and Duck fourth 15, is the two captains coming together and basically saying to the ref, I know it's officially the lower sternum, but can you referee it at the, at the you know, at the badge height and let's make a game of it? Because it's the only way in practice I can see it, I can see it working. But, just, you know, just I, don't, a... I don't play, so I've got no skin in the game, so it's not... It's not right for me to have a full opinion on it, but from from the outside looking in, it doesn't seem to be much practical to me. Just to follow up on the clear as mud point, it, the graphic that they put with it sort of had the green area where you can go, and they said, you know, um, it has to be the lower sternum. Now, I don't know. They, they obviously don't have someone who knows their anatomy there, but actually it, the green area they'd shaded was sort of like halfway up the gut, and actually the the, the bottom of your sternum is probably about... Four fingers below your nipples. That sounds like a sort of an indie album, doesn't it? Four fingers below the nipple. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, but, but, but why is it an indefinable line? Why yeah, this, this is it? You get to ask ask refs to be sort of like, oh, just some somewhere in the middle of the midriff. There was this incredible tackle you'd have seen by uh, London Irish. Um, was it? For, I can't pronounce the name for Arso against yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on Tizard, wasn't it? And he yeah. vaporized him. One of the best hits you'll see all season. Right, perfectly safe. Well, pretty painful if you're Tizard, but into the rib cage, that would be borderline outlawed. But the whole point is to whether it's borderline kind of shows how ridiculous it is because you're asking refs to make this call. My point is, let's just go under the armpit, which is where I suspect practically it'll be done. But Charles, what what are your thoughts on this? About uh, you know, in general, about the amateur game. I mean, I think I would have kept it as the ball, as ball height, and. I mean, I know you you then open yourself up to sort of people running around carrying the ball over their heads and things like that, but I just don't think that's going to happen and I just don't think you would see that. It's, it, it wouldn't happen. They had to lower it. That that is that is the key because of the because of these lawsuits and because of the legal action. They they had to do something. That that was vital. That was always going to happen. Admittedly, they've done it completely the wrong way round in announcing the decision and then doing the consultations afterwards. But the consultations really were around the wording. That's how they come. <laughs> the, the consultation was not a consultation as you and I would describe it. It, no. it there, At no point did it say, what do you think of this change? Would you like to see it amended at all? It was about the wording and clarity around the wording. And and how it's going to be refereed and what's happening with pick and go, which we still don't know yet. And uh, nothing about double tackles, um, as I'm sure we'll come on to, because that's your bet noir, Mike, isn't it? Um, but um, 
they had to do something. I'm not sure the, the argument, and, I'm, and, I, and I know that Ross Tucker, who's heavily advised on this with World Rugby and the RFU, the, the argument is that the nipple height or the the sort of armpit nipple height, it, it, it wouldn't do enough to actively change behaviours across the board to drop people because it's still quite high that it's still quite high. It's only, I, I don't really know, a few inches off what the current legal tackle height is. And so, yes, it would lower it, but it wouldn't lower it enough whereby across the board, there wouldn't be enough of a culture change and a, and a, and a sort of widespread shift. Having said that, I, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to point to us to my sternum before this, I would know roughly where it is. I know roughly where the sternum is, but in terms of, I'm a I'm a qualified referee. I do referee, and I'm not looking forward to this at all. Um, and I used to play. I don't anymore because of the constraints of my job. And if I was playing, I wouldn't be looking forward to it either. I think one of the big things for me, uh, for me is, as you've touched on, the difficulty for referees about how you're going to have what are perfectly safe tackles. Um, into the rib cage, heads lowered. Like you say, the whole thing is actually getting your head lowered. What you don't want are people coming in upright, face up, um, because then if you do make contact with the chest, then you are getting head on head. And I'd almost rather see a sensible refereeing point about are you approaching a tackle with your head up, because that is actually when you're going to have danger for both the tackler and the tackle mm-hmm. player. And that would seem a more sensible um, resolution to have, because again, that's clear when it happens. And again, if you're talking about tackle height. You want to talk about something that's easy to ref and easy to spot. So armpit, for me, is uh, all around that badge area, as you say. If you did something quite revolutionary and made sure each shirt had effectively a line on it, you've got Mm. something quite clear to aim for, and you've got a buffer zone before you get into a dangerous area like the neck and head. So That would be interesting, actually, because that would be doable, I think. Yeah. Say to clubs, it's now part of the laws where you have to have – it could be just slightly below – the, the nipple yeah. line. Yeah. If it if it was a regular standard line that was uniform across the entire game, agree. Where it was on the shirt, so so many inches down from the from the neck from the collar. Yes. Then that that would be uniform, wouldn't it? And that would be much easier to referee. Um, but I think there will be leniency because if you watch some of the the French games, there are some clips. <laughs> they, they actually don't refer. I've watched the clips. They actually, yeah. the double tackle, you're not allowed, to, which we'll come on to, the second, you're not allowed to have a second double tackler. Um, I think I've, the stories I've heard from players are that when it first came in, it was carnage, 60 penalties yeah. a game. And eventually it settled down where the refs kind of said, if it's not dangerous, we'll, we'll let it kind of crack yeah. out. Basically, they've, t- they've turned a bit of a blind eye to really rigidly refereeing that sort of sternum it's just it basically is now below the ball i think is what they basically widely sort of accept it as in france um and for better or worse it has seen a a marked reduction in concussions now Mm -hmm. i I think the rfu have slightly cherry-picked um which parts of the trial they wanted to use in their favor um in terms of prevent presenting this evidence because they've basically just gone oh france have got this fantastic all singing or dancing trial it's reduced concussions it works brilliantly we'll roll it out over here whereas an actual and they and they they had all the data they had all the stats but then as we just said if you actually watch one of these games being refereed you know it, it really isn't sternum it, they're very strict around high tackles yes and, and there's nothing above the ball mm but it really isn't sort of as successful as the RFU are claiming. However, in reducing the concussion incidents, 
it is. But that's a culture change, as you say. Like, as, nobody needs to hit the shoulders or above the armpit. You don't need to. If you no. do that, you, you've kind of got it wrong anyway. Sometimes you do need to hit the chest. Um, and actually, I think it's the second safest place to tackle after the belly on Ross Tucker's own research, That uh, um, as, as long with the thighs. So by taking it down to the sternum, you've actually taken out one of the safest places to hit. And the idea is you want to get down. Now, just on the double tackle point, what I've been banging on about is that the French and the New Zealand authorities are aware that if you reduce the tackle space by 30%, you're going to start pushing all the tacklers' heads into the same airspace. And if you have double tackles, particularly coming in from opposite sides, you've got a lot of head traffic going in there. Now, France dealt with this by just outlawing the double tackle, which is kind of a nonsense because rugby's a dynamic game and mm-hmm. if a guy runs between two players, what are you going to do? New Zealand, I thought, had a good idea, although overcomplicated in that they said the second guy can then come in at any height so you've kind of got the whole of the body to aim for so you you don't have this issue of traffic but the RFU haven't done that and so it's clear that there is an awareness of this risk of players coming in from opposite sides and colliding heads when you reduce the space and you're increasing the head traffic but they've been very very quiet I've actually written to them I've done boring letters and everything like that. and the reason I'm concerned about it it's because I've had two bad concussions from that. Those are my, my by far my two worst to a point where I actually took three months off the game um, because I couldn't remember anything about that game for, for weeks afterwards. Um, it is, for me, and I will put this out there to any amateur play, player, say be aware that you are being used as a crash test dummy here because they are putting, they know that there's a risk of increased traffic from a lower uh, lower tackle height. Um, but they haven't done anything to mitigate that. So you have to be aware of it. It's surprising. And in their statement, they didn't address that at all. Whereas they have before, they have at least acknowledged the fact that it is problematic, that double tackling is problematic and that there needs to be a solution from it. In their latest statement, whether this was an error or not, I'm not sure. They didn't address it at all. Um, but they are. they have said that they are currently in the process of rewriting the law and that will be released I think it said in the coming weeks in the statement, in the next few weeks or months, and maybe it will be addressed in that. It certainly, it certainly needs to be because you're right. If it was an issue before, if it was prevalent before, when you could tackle up to shoulder height, then it's it is going to be even more of an issue. And if it was an issue before and, and people are getting concussed, then it you can't you can't bring in a law change that sort of um, reduces the instance of concussion while completely ignoring um, uh, the fact that the concussion could be increased mm. by the law change that you're bringing in. You, you're just shifting sort of the risk from on the carrier, perhaps, to onto the um, onto the tacklers. So yes. uh, it, it's interesting to say, I think that the way it will practically end up being is it'll be practically refereed up to the armpit, which is a sensible compromise. It still provides a good amount of space for double tackles. Like I say, no one needs to go higher than the armpit. But we'll wait to see. It'll be a lot simpler if they'd have come to the clubs and said, right, we'll own the tackle height. Let's all work on this together and come to a landing on what we can do. Uh, but of course, they didn't. Do and the that. and the um, the the sort of the feeling I got from the statement and from the announcement was that it wasn't going to apply for pick and go. Um, no, how you were going to be able to still be stood up and sort of soak a pick and go and get on the ball because it's a much lower impact, lower sort of intensity of collision. Um, but now their issue is is that now they're trying to figure out what actually how do you define a pick and go? Um, so that's that's the next thing that the RFU have got to do because uh, obviously a pick and go is a 
is a coaching construct. It's not. It's not a part of the laws of the game. No. Um, and is a nine sniping, for instance, is that a pick and go? Because it's not. But I guarantee that under most people's written um, definition of a pick and go, yeah, uh, nine sniping would probably accidentally fall into that bracket. That's a really good point. Oh, we don't help ourselves as a game sometimes. We really don't. But um, let's what about one great pick? Yeah, exactly. Off of the back of a scrum. <laughs> well, Joe Simmons very um, against when we played extra very helpfully adopted a no tackle approach on first <laughs> yes. on several occasions. So maybe that's the way forward. Um, <laughs> let's move on because we've got a, a bit to get through. Um, Elliot, one of our favourite things, Premiership rugby. Another thing that's sort of in the doldrums. The product on the pitch, by and large, is is brilliant. I think the the quality of play is fantastic. Some of the players coming through, even though it's lost big names, it's brilliant to watch. It's competitive most weeks. Um, but still, obviously, the lack of funds in the game and wanting to improve engagement and bring in new fans. We've discussed this a lot, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, we've got several ideas of how we would um, try and entice people in. Um, most of them are unpopular with the traditional rugby fan. And to a certain extent, if a sport has to grow, it has to do things which are a little bit unpopular with people uh, and to, to generate um, people coming in. Um Quite clearly, there is a problem with the last weekend because of the lack of um, relegation. Um, Charles, obviously, whichever games he'll be sent to on the final weekend, is going to have to muster some excitement in his match reports because there really is not a lot to play for. You know, there, there is there is literally nothing unless it's, unless it's Tigers. Bristol back, isn't it? It's Bristol and back. That's it. Unless Tigers go twenty or thirty points down in the first twenty minutes, which suddenly becomes makes the Quinns game a little bit more interesting. That that is the only game on offer, and you know. You talk about the product. The product is actually very, very good. But actually, um, the 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 Falcon Saints game on Friday night was was farcical almost because Falcons bless them were were on the beach. And once the pressure came on from Saints, they basically decided that they were on the beach, and that was how the game went. And it, it's you know there is a lot of things where opportunities are being missed here, and I'm not quite sure if the sport is, is brave enough to, to, to actually do stuff to um, to move it forward. Charles, what would you say if you had sort of three small things that the Premiership could do that would have sort of bigger um, consequences and yield good results? What would you want to sort of apply? Certainly the return of relegation. I'm, I'm a staunch defender of that. And I think, I think they are realising that it... it it you know it, it might needed to have been paused for a bit during COVID, but I think they are now coming to the realization that um, that it needs to return. I mean, if, if you need any sort of clearer um, or obvious evidence of the benefits of it, you only have to look over to France because Breve are bottom of the French first division, and yet they are completely in favour of relegation, and they are going almost definitely going to be relegated. Um, this year and they wouldn't change that for the world because they sell out every week they sell out every week because basically as um, Brad Shields did an interview about this when you're fighting for relegation every game is a final so your fans are coming to watch a final you know Newcastle's fans but it's difficult to 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 sort of single out Newcastle because who knows if if relegation had been a a part of this Newcastle might be seventh who knows because it does strange Jeopardy does strange things to the mm. table. If we take Newcastle as an example, because they are currently bottom, um, I think they'd have had a much better gate this season, a much better average gate this season. You look at sort of that that game 
early on against Bristol, where Bristol, where they beat Bristol and Bristol weren't firing the, the home game against Bath. And all right, on Friday night, it would have been a, it would have been a bit of a you know wash. I don't think that I don't think they'd have shipped six no, relegations. No like, you know, they, no you way. can tell that they they went down by a couple, and a few players went. Ugh. Uh, what's what's the point? Well, it was the same the week before against Quinns. They gave it a real good lash at the stoop, but then it, it is that sort of just one percent. And if you if you if you rewind one percent, then good sides, especially good attacking sides in dry conditions like Northampton and Quinns, can just chuck it about and they'll they'll profit from that and they'll profit easily. Um, and you know Newcastle have conceded one hundred and twenty points almost in their past two games. Uh, no, maybe maybe it is 120 points in the last two games. Um, I should know. I've covered both of them. Um, but, but, <laughs> if you've um, lost count, but, I wouldn't blame you. Yeah, but I mean, I, I agree with you. I would be under no illusions whatsoever that they would not have shipped 120 points in those two games had they, um, uh, you know, had relegation been a factor, especially since Quinns weren't really playing for much uh, at the stoop that day. Um, they were playing to keep their hopes alive, but the, the, the chances were slim anyway. Um, what else would I do? I'd, I'd certainly improve the match day experience for a fan. <clears throat> I think that I stadium identities and identities of teams have been lost a little bit uh, in the Premiership. I think the league feels the league at times feels quite uniform and homogenous and a bit stale when you go to ground. Some of them have kept it. Some of them have kept a little bit of their identity, but you know. Sometimes it there are there are times where you go to these some of these premiership grounds and it, it, you could be anywhere. You could literally it feels like you could be at any of the grounds there. And 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 I do think I was having a chat with a with a Leicester fan on um on Twitter, and I don't know if he's uh I don't know if he's a, if he's a, if he's a regular listener, but I hope he is. About what why why are the sort of local specialties of Leicester not embraced more at Welford Road? Why mm-hmm. why why is there no pork pie on sale? Why why is there no Stilton stand? Why why are these things not embraced more? Because you go over to France, and it sounds silly and it sounds frivolous, but you go over to France and they do embrace their regional specialities, and it helps sort of further and create and engender this local identity, which then translates onto people supporting the team on the pitch. Um, And proud of where they're from and proud of their local area. And because at the end of the day, the team is representing that area. Mm. What you're saying is uh, we need to get show Waddy Waddy uh, playing Engelbert Humberdy. Yeah, Engelbert Humberdy. Elliot, just on the match day experience, you and I, both in agreement of perhaps the thing that annoys is, uh, annoys the traditional rugby fan the most away ends or away sections uh, optional away sections yeah look, look for me i will die on this hill and to be fair this year i've been watching super league in rugby league in this country a lot more than <clears throat> i have done previously and in rugby league you do have away sections and you know you only have to look at football away day culture is a thing you know if you go to a service station on a saturday there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people up and down the country following their football team away from home. It is a thing. You know, I did it for 10 years with Leicester City, going to, you know, Burnley, Blackburn, Portsmouth, all over the place, you know, Millwall, wherever. You go to these places, they're not glamorous places, but the away day culture, it's fun. The, the, the day out and having a few beers with your mates and going somewhere and singing some songs in the away end is a good laugh. And football is very anti-fan at times. It's not the most fan-friendly of sports, but it still gets it that away day culture is a thing. You only have to look in the Premiership. Your average away crowd is 3,000. You know, football fa- football away ends in the Premiership about 3,000. 
and they're sold out. Pretty much every game in the Premiership is sold out for your way end. And that's the same across all the leagues as well. So there is a, there is there is something about doing it. And there needs to be, and that away day culture has spread into the rugby league. You know, rugby league clubs do advertise um, the fact of Warrington Wolves did it. They played St. Helens on Friday night or Thursday last week. And the Warrington Twitter account said, St. Helens is always a great away day out. Get your tickets now, back the boys. You know, that's an amazing sort of mm. trying to copy the away day culture of getting in and having people around you and creating a bit of an atmosphere and creating a bit of noise. And, and, it, and you know, make it, making friends as well when you see the same people going to away days and you, 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 you know, you'll get a group of fans who get to know each other, become good friends. You know, I've heard about football fans creating friends for life just from people who they will often go to away days with. And well, we're, we're, put it this way, when I was a Leicester City fan, when we were crap, you didn't travel for football. <laughs> you weren't, <know>, you, <laughs> no. you weren't going for the foot. You weren't you, going for the. You, you travel for the fights. I know what you did. No, no, not at all. No, not me. Quite <laughs> honestly, but um, hooligan. Yeah, I'm, I'm very torn on this. I'm very torn. So, on this. so what, what my just a clarification of it is is having it optional. So, if you asked every club to put together, I'm I'm talking about small amounts like 300 zone, and it, basically there's no obligation to buy it. So basically, you as an away fan, you have an option to either buy through your club where you will go into your, your you know effectively the 300 odd seats or whatever it is in in one spot, and you can sit with them, or you can buy through the uh, the home club. And you can sit amongst the home fans and keep the rugby culture. Because the thing is, just talking about it, everyone is different. And I don't see what sort of an op- having an option for everyone to sit together would would detract from that rugby culture. Apart from, I think it would actually up some of the songs. It would up some of the, I think it would up Maybe. the spirit games. I, I agree. I agree with everything that's been said thus far. And I understand the sort of, the how there are philosophical um, people who are sceptical philosophically about this in terms of in oh, terms yeah. of me. I, I, have two, I have two reservations in terms of what you've just said. I hope that if they did do this, I wonder if it might engender a bit more sort of bitterness between home and away fans, certainly. And if you did have away fans sitting with home fans, whether they'd be going you know, piss off over there into the away section and it might, yeah, get a little, good point. it might get a little bit, a little bit spikier and a little bit pricklier. And I also <clears throat> fear whether it could be the sort of gateway into a slightly more hooligan. Se- uh, or, or, or I, I wouldn't go as far as say hooligan, but perhaps more sort of like, okay, there are now away ends than it is properly segregated. I Yeah. And then, but then I, I wouldn't say hooligan either in terms of the start, no. but then, you don't know what this very small measure would lead to five or ten years. Down. Just, to, just, to, just to sort of jump in here. I mean, if you were to look at the arrest number of arrests made at football games this year, the percentage is such a small percentage of the overall fans going. You know, it is naught point naught something. You know, I'm not going to say football violence doesn't exist, but if you have to try very, very hard to go looking for it, for it to happen. I mean, I'm not. This is the, the point I, I do have to make on this is that the, the one argument for not doing it is, is rugby fans are far too well behaved. We won't need away sections. Okay. Let's, and then if you all used to rugby fans are salt of the earth, this is why they have no football. At, there's no trouble at rugby games. Yet if you suggest moving 500 rugby fans to another corner of the ground, it's suddenly, oh my God, we're going to have fights every time. Well, it's the same people. All you've done is move them to another side. <laughs> no, I just, I just wonder whether the genie might be out the bottle, as it were. I don't think it would happen immediately. Oh, I, I'd suggest, I just wonder if it's a risk. I'd suggest a trial, voluntary trial for some clubs to do it, maybe for a year yeah. or two. 
um, and we take stock. I think it just is it's the atmosphere of... at Premier League football familial in the stands. I mean, okay, the, the arrest level might be low. Yeah, I, you, get I to, you get to know them in the cells. This, this is a genuine, <laughs> uninformed question that I'd be interested to hear the answer of. Obviously, the arrest level might be low, and, and that's great. Um, but is the atmosphere familial? Because it is at rugby, and that is one of rugby's very str- strengths at the minute. And when rugby is sort of struggling for strengths, I would be reluctant to knock one of its strengths on the head, especially as it's with the risks involved. I don't know. I, I'm very torn. I'm very torn. Yeah, look, uh, I'm not going to say here and say that going to Tottenham Hotspur away is a walk in the park. I'm not going to say that going to Millwall away is a Vickers tea party. It is quite clearly the four-minute train journey from London Bridge out to South Bermondsey, my bum was clenched, quite frankly, because it is a nerve, <laughs> it is a nervous train journey. Millwall, you've got to take it seriously. And Tottenham away, again, it's probably those two are the only two places I've actually genuinely felt this is a bit lively. I don't feel comfortable. I've got to keep my gob shut here because if I open my mouth, I could be in trouble. Look, so there is that, there is, I'm not going to shy away from that. And that there's more than London clubs where I felt that. I've been to pretty much most of the top two divisions away from home. A lot of times I was on my own. I never really felt intimidated. I was going to say those are the only two where I've actually felt it is a bit lively around here. Most of the time, I do think now there is an acceptance of... that If you're in the crowd, it's not really a thing. I mean, I've walked, you know, I've walked away from Leicester City games amongst the away fans and it's fine. I mean... David, David, this is my point: is that I've been to. You have to try pretty hard to to to, to have a scrap at a football game. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing I'm just going to say, I think you've got to trust fat rugby fans to self police a little bit as well, because I think that away fat from what you're saying, Charles, I do and so we come from, but I think there's just you know, if you set a load of Tigers fans together and they start singing Tigers, Tigers, or maybe even invent a song about Tommy Turnover. Or something like that, which is in the works, by the way, um, will be printed on T-shirts coming out. Sorry, Chris Edgerton. But what we're but that that's fine. But then if a song starts coming out about Marcus Smith's shit hair, I, I think that that would probably be self-policed a little bit to say, well, hang on, we don't want abusive chants. I think that I think we can trust self-police. I think we can encourage positive atmosphere as opposed to negative. But as you say, that's just an idea. We'll do one more and then we'll move on to some Tigers stuff specifically. But last idea, Charles, for the Premiership Rugby product. Oof, um, I've got one. Spot. Go on then, you go. You go. And I'll, Elliot, I'll... Elliot and I are big on this one. Derby oh. Day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wrote I wrote about this last week. And again, this is another thing that, I mean, France already do it. France already do it. And I know their, their, their clubs are slightly more <clears throat> densely located. There's slightly more derbies and you wouldn't have to fabricate them as much. But I, I agree, and, and this goes back to what I was saying sort of a few minutes ago, is that the the the, the derbies in the Premiership, Gloucester, Bath, Leicester Saints, and there are others too, it's mainly in the West Country, are again one of the Premiership's strengths. And I don't think they profit from that anywhere near enough. I don't think they make anywhere near as much of a sort of deal about it as, as maybe they once mm. did. You know, Leicester, Northampton... 10, 15 years ago was the game to watch. There was a scrap 
every i mean that's that's another argument in itself in that can we get some can we have some more scraps please yeah but, uh, everyone gets right. one everyone yeah, gets yeah, one yeah, one. yeah exactly and, and they should do a derby weekend um i know sale and newcastle is a good two-hour drive um but so, so sorry that is that but th- that can't be helped um but, but the rest they're marketing it one. quite well themselves not no help yes. i don't think approach it they're calling it battle of, the north. battle of the yeah. north which is great yeah, battle of the north yeah yeah and um, yeah absolutely it's a, imagine this then sort of tv and you, you build this you could have say sale newcastle on the friday night then you could have it's just off the top of my head you could have uh harlequins saracens lot of spite there bath gloucester Leicester Saints all on the Saturday and on Sunday. Um, who else have we got left after that? You've got who cares? We've, we've already yeah, done the big yeah, ones. Yeah, but yeah, you can bring an extra exactly with one of it um, at the end of it. But I mean, if you picked on that and you you properly pushed that and you you built up all the spite, sold the characters behind the game. You know, you showed clips of the old scraps. Let's not shy away from what rugby is. It's tribal. It's it, it, it's on the pitch, it's physical, it's nasty. Off the pitch, it's all very nice and gentlemanly, but we love seeing our guys go to war, basically. And yeah. That's what we want to promote and do it on a day, for fuck's sake, when we don't have international weekends. But the, but the thing is, the spiteful, tribalist nature of it is being somewhat lost, and that comes back to my first point of the league being homogenous and a bit diluted, um, and... The teams need to, to to engender that tribalism and that spitefulness. Each team needs its own identity. Last thing I have thought, and I did write about this last week, and I'm not just regurgitating the stuff that I wrote last week. But I, one of two things need to happen: either fewer three pm kickoffs for the Premiership, so that community players can go to the Premiership yeah, matches, agree. or move all community rugby to Sunday afternoon. Agree. I think that's very very sensible. I hated that when I was playing rugby locally in Leicester. It meant that when there was home, I was like, oh, I can't go see Tigers now. Uh, it always wound me exactly. up. Um, yeah, other thing, fantasy rugby, fuck's sake, it's really easy. It means that you get to watch TV of games that your team isn't in just because you've got players in the team, so sort of fantasy. There is one already, though, isn't there? Isn't there a, isn't there a Super Brew? Or, uh, no, there wasn't. There was That's a, guy a predictions who, thing. Predi- no, Super Brew is predictions. There is a draft thing at the minute, uh, isn't there? A manager's a, a manager's thing. I think it's all done amateur, though, you know, and it's, yeah, and, oh, they, I'm sure they do a great job. But anyway, I think that was a good one. Um, shall we talk a little bit about the Tigers, given this is, a, I suppose, a Tigers podcast? Yes. So on to Tigers season, a bit up and down. Firstly, down and then up, I think is probably the best way to put it. Um, crazy season, absolutely bonkers when you think about it that we're in the final. Somebody shared a. Uh, an image, I think it was done by BT Sport. It's almost as useless as the cricket win predictor, actually, to be fair. But it had Leicester Tigers after we lost to Northampton as being 8% likely of getting into the top four. Gloucester, 55%. Awkward. Um, Charles, Leicester in the playoffs. They're going to play Sale away um, in all likelihood, and they pretty much will. Do and your Orinoco flow. Yeah, I know. I've I've used that joke on every podcast so far, but you have you you didn't you didn't know, so you can use it. Well, no, I've you've got to sing it now. Like I've, I've stolen your thunder now. <laughs> I was building up to the same joke again. Um, do you think though, Leicester need to get to a final to make it a success this season overall? Uh, I think uh, yes, I, I actually think so. I do because of how successful and how um resurgent the second half of the season has been and i think it would be a massive disappointment now to not 
have something to show for it because Richard Wigglesworth has, a, has done a fantastic job, as you've already named. Check the poor, the poor guys at Overland Sites who um, gave Leicester eight percent. Uh, I know for a fact mm. are very, very. I mean, because Oval are involved with Leicester anyway. You know that that was like a dagger through the heart to them to have to do that. But now they're in a way overjoyed that they've been proven wrong. Um, yeah, I can't really I, mock them because they do our recruitment, so I can't even slag them off. Yeah, <laughs> they're, 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 taking, they're taking credit for it, mate. They said this was the this was the fuel you needed, lads. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, and I think with how well with how well. Um, Wigglesworth has done to to steer the ship back in the right direction, and with the quality of the squad and how well some of them are playing, they they need to be in that final really. And I think they would fancy their chances sail away much more than Saracens away. Certainly, Elliot, what are your thoughts? I to a certain extent, I do think in the modern era, getting to the top four is is broadly speaking success in its own right. If you have to look at you know, it's not like rugby was 15, 20 years ago where there was only two or three teams who realistically were going to win it. You know, there is four or five clubs who are always going to be in around, you know, technically six clubs, seven clubs who are always going for the top four. It is a, a, a wider competition now. And with that in mind, getting into the top four is a is a decent um, something to show for. And, and I this do, year was tighter than ever. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think once you finish in the top two, I think you are duty bound to have to get to the final. I think it is a massive disappointment if you finish in the top two and not make it. I think that is a, an underachievement. I think once you finish third or fourth, final is a bonus to a certain extent because you haven't quite got to where you need to be um, for it. So to a set, am I going to be gutted if we don't make the final? Yes, absolutely. Am I going to call it a failure of the year? No, not really. Because if you look at the amount of, quite frankly, shit that has been thrown at us pretty much ever since you know, July last year, we have been up against it in so many different ways. I mean, the fact that we'd already gone through a whole year's worth of issues by the time Steve had gone, you know, mm. Steve going almost put the cherry on the yeah. cake of how much we've had to sort of wade through. So to a certain extent, I think I have to have to wade through all the crap that we've gone through this year. I do think top four in its own right is a success, but I accept where Charles is coming from. Once you start winning seven yeah. in a row to go into the playoffs, you pretty much should be getting to a final. Uh, yeah, I think that's the key. Reigning champions. And mm. I know there was a tempestuous period around Christmas with Steve leading, leaving, but reigning champions, cracking squad, very good recruitment, which Steve led last season. Um, and uh, good, in, good team, injury the in as well at the moment as well. Yeah. We don't have any... And, and, and the form team in the league, I think, I think, you know, I think, the, I think in any season, the reigning champions... You know, getting into the top four as reigning champions is that a success in its own right? I think it's debatable. So I'm saying it's not, but I think it's debatable. No, I, I agree. I think Elliot and I had us as as second in the league before we started. We thought Saracens probably have the best squad uh, and were probably best set to continue on from where they had. Obviously, we had lost Ford and Genge and Maroney uh, amongst others. Uh, it's weird because at the start of the season, if somebody had said you're going to finish third, you're going to make the European quarters. I think we just said that's probably just about par for the course. Then when we lost um, all our coaching staff to England, uh, when we had that bad run against uh, Newcastle on sale in particular, and then to Saints, somebody said, okay, you're going to get into the top four. You just said that is fucking remarkable. But now, as you say, now we're here and we're on this run and the guys are fit and we'll come on to some of the players in a minute and on form. 
you know, I'm inclined to agree with you. It's amazing how my expectations changed just two months ago mm-hmm. and I said, this is an incredible success. And I suppose you have to extract yourself probably to say, yeah, good work, guys. But at the same time now, I think that the players themselves would be saying, look, we're in it to win it. And Ben Young's, I think, in some of the camera off-field in the change room said, we're here to do something special. And there's a lot of spite in that Tigers side. I loved what Wigglesworth was saying. I think he's got them angry uh, about yeah. how... Uh, the media, not the Telegraph, I'm sure, Charles, but the the media has um, written them off. No, I can't, and I can't. I can't imagine Richard Wigglesworth on his Leicester Swan song saying that a loss in the semi final at the AJ Bell would have been a successful season. Oh, against Sale as well. Um, what stood out for both of you in terms of positives and negatives? Give me one big positive and one big negative each. Um, Elliot, go for you first. Cam Henderson. Oh, we're going straight on to specifics. Yes. Oh, 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 actually, I'll widen it out. Leicester's second row, the youthful second row. I'll make it a, make it topping <laughs> itself. George Martin, the coming of George Martin, the resurgence of Cam Henderson. And I know he's injured, but Ollie Chesson, if you look at that, that is firepower for days on days on days. I think that build-up of work over the last two and a half years, I think is staggeringly good. And that, to me, is a massive positive. Uh, I was gonna. I'm. I'm gonna look like I'm copying here, and I don't have an original idea. But I was going to say the exact same thing. I was going to say, <laughs> Leicester second row. George Martin has been a revelation. Cam Henderson has been playing very well alongside him as well. Um, the next step now for me on on that front is to have them both in the second row, leading and calling a line out mm-hmm. because I think that I think the Leicester's be- best back row when everybody's fit is probably Cracknell Raffle Visa. Um, with and no but, you need. I, I think Cracknell. I think Cracknell might have He's pushed. Like, he is pushing. And I think. I think. I mean, I don't know this for certain. This is just my opinion, but it wouldn't surprise me if Wigglesworth agrees in some guys, which is why we've seen Montoya given the captaincy. Um, you know, there will be a reason behind that. That won't just be. Um, that won't just have been done randomly. Um, and. <clears throat> I think that is Leicester's best back row, but at the minute, I don't think you can play that with Martin and Henderson in the second row with that line-out inexperience, really, um, which even with Hanro in has been caught out against Edinburgh and against Leinster uh, a couple of times. So I think that's the next step now in their development, and especially if George Martin wants to be sort of starting for England um, regularly in the second row, which he is very much in the frame for. Obviously, he was called back into the squad for to train for that final game of the Six Nations in in Dublin. Um, and then, so a negative, it's, it's quite tough with um, considering they're the form team in England, really, and uh, may well be in a in back to back Premiership finals. Maybe midfield depth. I know the injury list has been not incredible, but I think. You should. It just goes to show you're two injuries away from a crisis, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think if you're going to compete at the very top, and maybe this is why they've not been at the top two, is because when Kelly and Porter have been injured, the next. I mean, Matt Scott's been excellent, in fairness, but then I think other than those three, Moroni was never sort of properly replaced. Mm. um, I don't think, and that's probably where you're looking um, in terms of, and then also maybe a, a little bit of lacking in in weight and cutting edge firepower in the back three with Nandolo leaving uh, for all of, mm. uh, you know, Ashton Brown, brilliant, Stuart, brilliant. Harry Potter is brilliant. And Anthony Watson has brought a bit of that, but can you imagine how much of a different beast the sort of Leicester back three would be with Anthony Watson on one wing, Nandolo on the other? 
skewered at 15 and even with Brown pushing them all the way and Harry Potter who's an excellent player pushing them all the way um but they will because they, they've been sort of mid well Moroni was a late season departure at the end of last season Nandolo's left at the middle of this season along with Freddie Burns hopefully those gaps will be plugged ahead of next season yeah I, I'm just going to very quickly jump in on the positive and negative there so positive I agree with the second rows, what I like about George Martin is the growth I think he's got. Firstly, he is enormous on the lower half of his body, which I think surprises people. His legs, and it always sounds weird, his arse, are, are fucking enormous, which is where he generates all his power from. I still think he's got some filling out to do, you know, if you look at his frame. Um, I yeah. think he could be a proper, I don't want to compare him, I'm not comparing him to Ebenezer Beth or anyone like that, but you know that sort of hulking, enforcing, brutally physically. He's got the best tackle technique in the Premiership, or one of the best tackle techniques Certainly. in the Premiership in my opinion. And then Cam Henderson. It's easy to forget that Ollie Chesham only got his shot for Tigers because Henderson had cemented himself as a first choice the season before, got injured, and now he's picked up where he left off, had to bide his time. This is, at the start of the season, you're talking about the backup blindside flanker and the fifth choice second row, and now probably the form second row partnership in the project. It's remarkable, and I cannot <laughs> praise them and all the coaching and, and the players around them, of course, enough. One mm. positive I'll say as well, I think actually the way the side has recovered because they could very much have gone into their shell after that Saints defeat, after those two hidings they took in the north as well. I'm going to butt in as well, just with another very quick positive. Uh, moving on from Ellis Genge, uh, James Cronin and Tom West have been fabulous. Fantastic. Fabulous. Cronin in the first half of the season, West in the second half. is It's fabulous. sensational. What a great... You feel like we've got a maybe Genge's... Well, Elliot and I have been discussing Genge has uh, gone backwards at Bristol. I, I, one wonders if um, he may uh, pick up the phone to Tigers in a in a year or two time. We're just we're just just you know we're just throwing that up in the air. There, we'll see. But I do like, that was a Saturday. Te- that was a Saturday music. Saturday, Saturday piss up text uh, fest. Wasn't it? it goes. He'll, he'll be back in two years. All playing in the NRL. What's the option? Uh, <laughs> so um, or France. Yeah, yeah, or France or Saracens. We did mention as well. But the because um, Mako will be off soon. But I, I do think. Uh, that our stable of loose heads is stronger, if that makes sense now. Uh, and finally, as yeah, so just on the weakness point, I think that our inability to close out tight games in that first half of the season, I'm thinking Bath, Exeter in particular, Bristol, uh, you know, we'd be looking at home court, uh, home semi-final right now. Had we uh, had, you know, talking about a five-point swing and we'd be having a home semi-final. And uh, that is all down to us. And, you know, it just goes to show how tight the margins are here. The worst thing about those two, I think back to Bath and Bristol, I can't quite recall. Oh, the oh was that both? There's a common denominator. <laughs> I can't recall the extra game off the top of my head now. It's too long ago. I've been bed since then. But um, in terms of Bath and Bristol, the, the most disappointing thing, I think, as a Tigers fan should have been that how, how much better they were on the on the day. So dominate, dominant. Much better than Bath, much better than Bristol on both days. If you're not, if you're not closing out a close game that's been quite even, you can't really complain. But the most no. sort of gutting thing there for a Tigers fan would have been that they were so much better than Bath and Bristol. I mean, the table doesn't lie. And they were better than both of them on the day. I mean, Harry Potter dropped the ball over the line twice, didn't he? Uh, times, thrice, I think. thrice, actually. Yeah. Thrice in the first half. Well, exactly. And you can't you can't mitigate for that. No, exactly. George Martin in that game. My God, he was so violent when he was carrying. Um, <laughs> we've mentioned players. We'll move on and talk about players specifically. We've mentioned Henderson and Martin. This, is, this from the very early days, was a George Martin fan cast. Um, I think uh, at the start, and he's had injuries, so he's come back and we talked about Henderson. Andre Pollard, uh, eyebrows raised about his recruitment. Um, 
questions answered as far as I'm concerned, Elliot. Oh yeah, hundred percent. He's worth every um, penny of that uh, six-figure salary he's being paid. He is a um, overseas player that is giving everything, and is um, some overseas players or some marquee players sort of come and sort of come as sort of a fanfare and enjoy their sort of celebrity status and almost don't get their hands dirty in the in the rough and tumble of the day to day. Andre Pollard looks like he's throwing absolutely every inch of himself into the Leicester life. You know, not just Tigers, but the Leicestershire life. The fact he's going for for Curry's, I presume that Paddy Martin's in. Mm. Um, but the fact he's going into stuff like that is, I think it's brilliant. And he's not coming here as a sort of drop-in, drop-out sort of player. He is very much throwing himself in. And I think that's brilliant. I I, I think he's an absolute joy to, to watch. And it is ironic that the... Um, that we are destined to play sail away in the um, semi-final after when he did that running try in the, in December and he looked like he was carrying a fridge on his back and everyone was going, oh my <laughs> he, God. He, lo- he looked it? like me when I took an intercept the other week. I mean, that is bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was the thing. Everyone sort of went, oh my God, what have we signed? And yet we sit here now going, oh my God, wrap him in cotton wool, do not play him against Quinns in a couple of weeks. You know, that's the, you know, that's the, that's the turnaround that he's had and he shows... Every inch of quality. I mean, he's got it all. You know, we've spoken about him before. His passing is great. His kicking off the tee is great. His kicking out of hands amazing. He pushes... No, the amount of times Austin Healy picks up on this, the amount of tens in this league, but when they kick the corner, do not bury it on the five. Andre mm. Pollard, even on the halfway line, is burying it on the five. That is a key mm. difference that makes that sets him apart. His ability to bury it deep into a 22. Looks like he's really enjoyed himself as well. That's, yeah. that's a big thing I said, and he said as much. He's not enjoyed his rugby this much. Charles, like, be honest, you know, when he signed, uh, I think a lot of people actually felt it It was like a rush. I quickly need a big name signing. Pollard's was the obvious one who was looking about at the time. Um, yeah. What was your initial view and, and, and has it changed? Um, are you surprised at how well he's gone in the last few months? Well, I mean, I'm not surprised with how well he's gone in the last few months, but I'm surprised at sort of how quickly he's sort of, Bitted in after you're right, you know, a sort of a more middling or or or, or a tough start. My, my initial perception was that it's great that Leicester and the league can attract a name like that, really, um, or continue to, especially with the riches available in Japan and in France. Um, because he hadn't played very much for Montpellier the season before because Garbisi had, had, had leapfrogged him in the in the ten packing order. It was difficult to judge, but you did you did wonder whether it was a bit of a sort of name signing. Um especially when also when Atkinson was also signed very early on with Pollard injured, you, uh, with Wasp going obviously, you did wonder whether um he was the man for the here and now. Pollard, and he—I think he, pr- he has proven that he—that he has, that he is, that he is the man for the here, here and now, and that you know he's been very, very good, very, very good the past few weeks, and as good a really as good a fly half as there is in in in, in the Premiership at the minute in terms of form. Mm. I, I like as well how he is pushing stuff. I know the crossfield kick in his on his own line uh, went badly wrong against Exeter, but I love the way he dusted himself off from that, and I love the way that he's pushing it. Like you say, pushing the envelope. I think he kicked one dead when he was going for broke but I love the fact he has got the confidence to keep on doing that uh, and back himself he makes mistakes they don't affect him he carries on um, mm. player of the season for the club we've already done this earlier we've already uh, moved about I think I'm on Visa or Martin somewhere between the two um, and I think you're on Montoja 
Weren't Montoya or Martin? I'd Martin. probably lean towards Montoya. Well, I tell you what, then. Well, my gut was my gut fits perfectly with with drawing out with closing off that 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 sort of those three players because I'll go Montoya or Visa. Oh, there we are. Perfect. Either way, I don't think you could have too many arguments. I think if you give Martin Young player just to give him something because he's been sensational. But now, he has. Been, yeah, we don't want to take anything away from him. He's been absolutely marvelous and ball in hand. The improvements have been phenomenal. Uh, okay, well, we'll crack on very quickly. Let's look to the future. Let's say so we're talking about players recruitment next season. Charles, what's interesting you, and do you think there are any gaps that Leicester still need to address? Um, I, I, I know. I think they're, they're building a very good. The signings have been very impressive. Ollie Hassel, Collins, Kyle Hatherall, these guys coming. They're good, good players, and there aren't that many. I mean, Anthony Watson is is you know nearing the exit doors as far as as far as we understand. I don't think it's anything's confirmed yet, but mm. so he's going to be tough shoes to fill. But you know, he's he was away for the whole Six Nations. Mm. Um, so if you can get, I mean, Oli Hassel Collins might be as well, but even so, he was actually left out of the squad for a bit, so you don't know. And he's another very very good player. Um, no, I think the future is looking very bright. I think the future is looking very bright, and I, I just I just think that Leicester. They don't want with the names coming in, with the recruitment that's done. You've got obviously Nick Dolly coming back into fitness as yeah. well, who's an excellent hooker. You don't want this season to end as a, as a damp squib. You want something positive to hang your hat on ahead of next season with a new coaching team or certainly a new head coach um, coming in and some excellent signings coming in too. I, I, I presume Tom West will be staying on that loose head, uh, uh, but I'm not 100% sure. You two, might, you two might be more informed than I am, to be honest. I'm fairly confident that a deal is... I think that's why Nephew went last week. Uh, yeah. uh, we, we'll have put this earlier on the podcast. Elliot would have poured his hot Nando sauce rating all over this, um, which is which is pretty good. Um, which is basically our barometer of signing rumours is Nando sauce ratings. Um, <laughs> if we, um, Elliot, just very quickly, um, what about you next season? Are there any gaps that you think we still need to fill? I, well, I'll just put it out there as well very quickly. Um, I think all the Worcester and Wasp signings we've got: Shilcock, Hathrow. Um, Philball Thomas is a very promising young hooker as well, and and um, Josh Bassett are fantastic, very Leicester signings as well. Mm. I would say Bassett particularly, yeah. I think if you if we'd have spoke before the Exeter game, I would have said we probably need a back row, a centre at, at thirteen, and another fourteen winger type player. I watched the Monday night game against Northampton Saints last week. I'm fairly comfortable with what we got. I think um, Ilioni is ready to go. I don't see the point in getting another back row. Also, you have to look at the how the fixture list is going to be scheduled for next year. Um, with 11 teams, maybe 10, depending on what happens elsewhere, um, there is going to be less crossover with international breaks. And the, the first six weeks of the season are going to be pre-season friendlies and, and Prem Cup. And then the first round of the Premiership is um, the knockout stages of the, of the World Cup. So there really is going to be a lot dramatically less crossover with internationals next season so I looked at Ilioni I think he's at the point where you've just got to throw him in and let him fly Lewis Chesham is at the same point Cockness Eagle I think showed to me there's a player there and he's good to go and I'm actually quite at the point with Joe Brown I think there's something there with Joe Brown I was actually quite impressed with how he got on last Monday night um I could I wouldn't argue with you if you said you wanted to bring in another 14 like a specialist 14 but with Kata knocking around who covers 12 and 14 I do think we've got all bases covered. And to a certain extent, I'm at the point now where I'd rather back the lads in the development squad who are 21-20 and 
let them be third or fourth mm. choice and, and throw them in a bit more. So to me, I'd stop the recruitment. My, my only addition to that would be I would look for an unheralded young or championship bona fide open side jackling flanker because we've only got Tommy Rafael. Ilioni, I think he's there. Do, do you think he's that kind of player? Well, well that's a different, uh, different. Cracknell was a very good jackler as well. Is say? I think Cracknell's very good over ball. Yes, he is. Okay. Um, last question. I'm going to roll the three into one for you, Charles. So now you need to get off. Um, not in that way, day. Um, so, <laughs> um, what do you, th- Elliot? By the way, has got his hands. Uh, head in his hands, knowing that I've debased this podcast yet again. <laughs> and I don't want to tell you what Charles is <laughs> doing right now. Um, uh, Charles, what do you think Dan McKellar is going to bring next season to the club? Um, apparently, it's not going to be Felipe Contempani, but never mind. Um, and what sort of gaps in play do you think he's going to look to develop? And, and do you think there are any other sort of gaps in the coaching Leicester want to fill? Um, I think the answer to the first two questions. Um, without wanting to ramble on for ages, is is wrapped into one the mall. I think the mall will return to being uh, better next season than it was this season. Obviously, Steve Borthwick ran that while he was here, and him departing, I don't think that area was ever quite sort of <clears throat> um, reassessed potentially as well as it might have been at coaching level. Um, So that is something that he will bring. We know for a fact that McKellar is a mall expert and that Borthwick and him have shared mall notes and mall IP um, before, before, while Borthwick was on the international circuit and when McKellar was was with the Brumbies and maybe even while Steve was um, at Leicester. Um, And gaps to fill, um, well, obviously SNC, with Alad Walters going, SNC will need to be filled uh, and there will need to be an attack coach brought in that is not Felipe Contepomi. Elliot, um, what's the SNC coach who's just left um, who we think I want to throw out there as being an ideal Alad Walters re- replacement? The Rope? The Rope himself. I, that's, I know him by his nickname or I know him by his penis's nickname. Or Bobby, you had to Bobby Cut. Yeah, Bobby Stringer, thank you. Oh, Paul, Paul Stringer, yeah, okay. Yeah. He's just left Wales. There's also, I mean, John Clark left England during the Six mm. Nations, and he was the head of SNC there. But I'm guessing, I mean, I don't know this for certain, just reading between the lines, I'm guessing he left England because uh, Wick, or, or, yeah, but that he just deemed that he wasn't good enough and, and, that, and that Allard was better. So I don't know if you want a sort of sloppy seconds, as it were. England, England sloppy seconds. Uh, yeah, exactly. Eddie Jones's sloppy seconds. No, Eddie I mean, Jones's yeah. sloppy seconds. I mean, what I'd I'd probably take from that is that Alan Walters had twofold purpose, didn't he? Running the conditioning program, but also being sort of a yin to the yang, keeping that energy, uh, mm-hmm. keeping the morale um, up within the club. <laughs> and sorry, there's more office references going in here. And uh, but but what you're talking about, yeah, Paul Swindon being released from Wales. He's a massive character. Anyone who watches the Lions documentary will know that. Um, James Haskell revealed his penis is nicknamed the rope. It's neither here nor there, but apparently that's that's a big uh, motivator among the players somehow. Is so, he not still with Toulon though? Is he, is he not still with Toulon? Was he on a dual contract? I thought he was. I thought he was loaned out. I, I'm not 100 percent sure um, how it works contractually, but I was under the impression that he might still have been. We with might be nipping that in the bud then, but, but he would be an but, ideal. But it's not to say that he's not out of contracts. Mm. Um, you know, at the end. Yeah, I think he is. I'm, I'm not sure. That's not to say that he's not out of contract at the end of this season. 
No, I think he might have left Toulon. I think he might have left Toulon. I think I think you might be right. I think I might be talking bollocks. Not no, that, that's right. Let's start that rumor then. Uh, yeah, the rope is coming to Welford Road. <laughs> Charles uh, Richardson has just said. Charles Richardson has just confirmed. Stridgen to Leicester. The rope has been sighted. Excellent, um, Charles. Thank you so much for joining no, us. No. Elliot and I are going to prattle on a bit about uh, Damico a bit longer because I know you've got to go, but we really appreciate once again you uh, stopping by. It's always fantastic to get your insight. No, a pleasure as always. Thank you very much for having me on and um, best of luck to Leicester, Leicester Tigers for the rest of this season with hopefully, hopefully three games to go. Fingers well, I know there's another phantom group. I mean, the three, yeah, three competitive. Three concurrent competitive matches remaining. Exactly, yeah. Cheers. Thank you very much, Charles. Cheers, Charles. Has he gone? Can we talk about him behind his back yet? Uh, he has gone. Yeah, great bloke. Um, now, obviously, we've had to assure him out, out the room, not so we have to talk about him, but so that we can just finish talking about Dan McKellar. Elliot, um, what do you think Dan needs to sort of look to bring with him? There's been rumours, obviously, about attack coach. We mentioned earlier Alan uh, Dickens. Is it Alan Dickens or Dickinson from, from under-20s? Um, potentially coming along as the attack coach. Do you think that's it? Or, I mean, SNC is the big one for me. SNC is massive because ultimately Tigers are, for me, the fittest team in the Prem. So, and that has been the big reason why of our success over the last two and a half, three years now since the Borthwick revolution started in 2020. So, the Alid Walters fitness regime has allowed us to play the game plan that we've played over the last three years. I personally don't see McKellar, as we said back in December, January, when we are um, coach hunting, we're not, this isn't a change because something has gone wrong. This isn't a managerial change because we want to go in a different direction because the previous regime has failed. This has been forced upon us because of the success of the previous coaches. So as a result, if I'm Dan McKellar, am I really going to change much? You know, if you've the first game you've been to Welford Road, you've seen a 62-19 win. I can't imagine he's gone back to um, to HQ and gone, oh man, I'm going to change all that. You know, you're not going to rip it up, are you? You're not going to you're not going to look at that and think, yeah, that's great. I'll rip up his contract if he if he sounds like that, mate. <laughs> uh, that's it. So well, I've got a cold. So there we go. Um, but this is the thing: is I can't imagine Dan McKellar sits there and goes, yeah, that's great. But I'm just do everything different to that. I just, I just don't see it. And I, we all know that McKellar was chosen because Tigers heavily looked the data that sits behind all of the coaches and they wanted to get as close a fit as possible. So quite clearly, McKellar, by the, the virtue is he's got the job, is as close to what they are looking for in terms of continuity as much as possible. So I think, you'll, as Charles referenced, you see all the good stuff. And there's a great interview, which we've referenced before, that on YouTube with Duncan Chubb, that Dan McKellar has done from 18 months ago. Listen to it. It is a fantastic hour of your life to listen to. And it's a fascinating insight of how Dan McKellar looks at the game of rugby. And he talks all the language we would want to see. So I think it would be, I think it was to see really good forwards coaching in return. Not to say that we haven't had that with um, Danny Wilson, but I think you're going to see elite forwards coaching across all levels of the club. The Maul will be back as an attacking weapon. And I think you'll start seeing a few more bits and pieces coming back into the game or being added to the game overall. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he's very, very big on culture, which yes. I think is really important. I think he will like the Leicester culture. The Brumbies were always the most... Uh, any Brumby fan listening to this would take this as an insult. I mean it as a compliment, but I suppose the most pragmatic and the most almost Northern Hemisphere-ish side out of all the Aussie side, probably all, all the, uh, the Super Rugby sides, they focus traditionally on... 
their forward dominance. Dan McKellar took that to another another level. And, you know, I'm all this season. I think it's actually picked up a little bit with um, Wilson. But I think we we can get back to previous levels of dominance where it becomes that horrible, almost inevitability for sides to have to face. Um, I think that it will be really, really um, exciting to see. Two levels for me, I think, then we need to address is, uh, in, in particular, or say the one major area as well as SNC, uh, is our, an attack coach or a backs coach. Because at the moment, I think our backs are very good at finishing things off, exploiting the space created by the forwards. I always go back to that Leicester game and how they use their backs to create space when they weren't making yards against our pack. The angles of running, the timing, everyone on the same page. Uh, you know, that is another level. I'd like to see that added to our game. So, you know, it turns out we can't win the game line. We've got another option in the, in our back pocket. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I've been watching over the last, well, we watching actually, because I watched it back in the first lockdown, The Last Dance, the, the Michael Jordan documentary. And if you haven't watched it, please, please do. It's a fascinating watch. And it is a fascinating insight into how to build a sports team. It's worth just pointing out that it took seven years for Michael Jordan to win his first NBAs. You know, he joined the Chicago Bulls in 1994. It was his seventh season when he actually won it for the first time. So these things do take time. This is We are currently in year three of what has been started. You know, if you take for Steve Borfoot coming in as ground zero, this is, you know, day oh, one. Of fresh... coming in as, as year zero, actually. Yeah. It, it, all... it coincidence. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that 1st of July 2020 is the rebirth of Leicester Tigers. It is the day one of let's put this club back together. Not just a team, but the club back together. You know, we are. This is year three of that project, and we've already won the prem, which is a staggering achievement. It's a staggering um, how quick it, how quick the success has come around, and we're on on track for having another good crack at it this year. So that's again is really good going. And I just think it shows that actually these things. The Chicago Bulls are remembered for the nineties of winning six and eight, but actually it took them seven years of building to get to that point of putting a squad together and moving players through and getting a couple of coaches in before it came to Phil Jackson, who set up that, you've basically took it and took it to another level. So these things are, these things do take time is my, is the point. And actually little things have to be added to constantly being added to it to get to the point where it is a, a an award winning, successful team. And, you know, rugby can change in that time. We don't know what the rugby landscape is going to look like in the next five, 10 years across the board, but actually they need to, Tigers can start adding little bits and pieces to the game and expanding out and adding more options to the game and actually become really hard to difficult. You know, if we can't get you on the rolling wall, the, you know, heavy carrying midfield will get you. If we the heavy carrying can't get you, we'll snipe around the fringes with a nine. If we can't snipe around the fringes, well, guess what? We'll do you in the backs and we'll throw the ball around and we'll create something out of nothing. Mm. So it's that having four or five weapons in the armory of going, actually, you can mix it any which way you want. If you want to tangle, we'll have a tangle with you. If you want to dance, we'll dance for you. And it, it, that's how you, you make yourself a really the, good team. The best Leicester sides of all have been able to beat you up. They've been able to outkick you, win territory. And they've been able to, like you say, bamboo, bamboozle you on the outside. So for me, yeah, that's what we want to aspire to. I thought Saracens kind of reached it earlier on in the season when they had all their players fit. They've struggled a wee bit since then. Not really down to their fault. Uh, Theo McFarlane, the superhuman, uh, being injured probably has helped them. But I like the fact, I think actually playing Leinster and matching them in one area and then being decimated by them in another, long term, I think, will be hopefully a good lesson for the club. Well, I think it shows you something to aspire to. You know, if you take Leinster as being the club to actually you want to be like, 
I know we can talk about the off-field stuff, but actually that detracts from the on-field stuff. And I don't want to go into the off-field stuff of Leinster, as we spoke about a few weeks ago. If you look at Leinster, the on-field product is the epitome of your all-court, all-act. You know, it is a, a, the most complete rugby team I think I've ever seen. It is superb. And it is something every t- rugby team, and we, there's no, I don't think there's anything to hide about. Actually, we shouldn't be embarrassed by saying we should want to be like Leinster. You know, we should try and set up and be like that and have that as a as a, a model and to actually take the lessons away from it and have that and go, look, what can we learn from it? What was what do Leinster do well? On the pitch, I mean, we can all talk about the off-pitch stuff, but let's do it on the pitch. How can we be like them? Okay, Ultimate Pro 15. Now expand, I suppose, to Ultimate Pro 23 because... I think it's fair to say we felt that there were so many good players uh, that didn't make the first choice 15 that we, we had to expand it slightly, didn't we? To, to have a bench for this 15 felt necessary. Well, it brings it, it's a nice full stop, isn't it? To, to, to celebrate the great and the good um, of it. And it is, again, I just come back to how fortunate we have been as play, as fans to watch these fantastic players. I mean, it's great. You know, just to have, you look at the guys who haven't made it and you, have, you look at the guys who didn't make the cut for the bench yeah. votes. I know some staggering amounts of talent. Icons icons of the club as well. Um, Well, well, we are going to give it away. Like Tim Stimson hasn't made it. Julian White, which will upset a lot of people, including me a bit as well. He hasn't made it. But then you compare to who's got in and you say, well, you might not agree, but you can appreciate perhaps where the votes have come from. And uh, we were talking before we hit record. We have loved doing this. One of the most annoying things is having people criticise us as if we've selected this. This is all voted for. It's all pro era. Um, so hopefully we'll give a consensus broadly of where the fans are. And if you disagree, that's fine. Just remember, you, you've lost by a majority, basically. Um, and also, it's just a bit of fun. It's just, it's just a bit just fun. A bit, we are doing this for the crack. We are not doing this for anything else. It's fun. Yeah. I don't know if it's worth us being called wankers, but but there we go. Uh, why don't we? Uh, do you want to just very quickly remind everyone of the fifteen, and then just read through the bench? I don't think we need to do the votes, but um, I think we just slap through the bench pretty quickly. Yeah, I can I can do the votes well, but we'll do it very quickly. So the team, the fifteen itself, the starters, the starters uh, to take the field for us was Ayertza, Montoya, Cole, Martin Johnson, Ben Kay, Tom Croft, Neil Back, and Jasper Visa completing the pack. Ben Youngs and George Ford at halfback. Um, Pat Howard and Manu Tuolagi in the centres. Alex Tuolagi on one wing. Austin Healy on the other with Jordan Murphy at 15, which is a stack. Again, I just think it's a very, staggering. Very, very tasty. Um, so the bench, um, there's a, a walkover. Um, so Wiggy get so um, Graham Roundtree, based on previous votes, gets a loose head, loose head just, slot. Just to explain that, so... Marcos Ayatza, who won the the spot for the loose head, uh, didn't have any competition for in the import fifteen, so he'd gone straight in. So, if we were going to go to the next best two, it would be Wiggy against Genge, but Wiggy had already beaten Genge, uh, sorry, Wig had already beaten Genge in a previous fight. So, no point in running it again. So, Wig gets the number seventeen shirt. Absolutely. So, um, sixteen for the hooker was between Tom Youngs and Benjamin Kayser. And Tom Young's won with 81% of the vote. The 18 shirt for Tighthead was between Julian White and Martin Castro Giovanni. Um, and as Mike alluded to, Castro won with 61% of the vote. Of 61% of the vote. Um, sorry. 
Number 19 shirt. Uh, we threw a bit of a wild card in with Martin Corey because of his versatility. That vote was the 19 shirt was between Leo Cullen, Fritz van Heerden, Lewis Deacon and Martin Corey. And with 52% of the votes, Cosa took the vote. I'm going to defend that very quickly because I realised that Cosa was on the bench as reserve second row for England in the World Cup final. So I'm justified in putting him there because he, he gives eight and second row cover. You are you have the same brain process as Clive Woodward. Well done, Mike, for admitting that. <laughs> Hopefully not well, modern day Clive Woodward. That's that's yeah, well, to say, uh, 2003 Clive is a little bit different to 2023 Clive. Bless him. Um, the 20 shirt was a, a, a fiery vote of back rows, to be fair. Hanro Liebenberg, Julian Salvi, Martin Corey again, and Lewis Moody. Mudos thankfully wins the vote. I, I, I'm yes. absolutely relieved for him after we tried desperately to manage to try and get, get him into the 15 and was very unfortunate to, to, to not make it. I'm very, very glad that Mudos uh, gets, a, gets a win. And, uh, and and makes it onto the uh, into the bench slot. And um, just to, just to interrupt before people say, where's Josh Cronfelt in that vote? Um, he was effectively in the import fifteen semi final and lost. Surprisingly, we would say to Julian Salvi. So take it up with uh, the voters. Democracy. He play. They like cold play. <laughs> Twenty one shirt was between Harry Ellis and Julian Dupree. Harry Ellis won with eighty one percent. So I'm now satisfied. Uh, we've managed to find a place for uh, for Ellis. Um, 22 was for the fly half inside centre cover between Toby Flood, Joel Stransky, Anthony Allen and Matt Samua. Uh, Toby Flood with 48% was the uh, was the winner. And then um, 23 shirt, the outside backs. I mean, you look at the, the, the players who didn't make the cut for this vote. Tom Fandel, Nicky Gonover and Namani Nadolo didn't even meet this vote because of previous votes that have gone on, which showed you how... Hotly contested this is. Um, so the final four for this was between Soru Rambini, Leon Lloyd, Toulouse Viano, and Tim Stimson. And with 50% of the vote and taking the share is Toulouse Viano. So that com- that completes the uh, the 23. And I think the bench, like the, the starting 15, brimful of talent, can allow you to play in numerous different um, avenues. It just It's just a superb 23 and a real good support the 15 and as I say we have been very very fortunate as fans to get to, to to watch and we get to talk about these players I mean other other fans of other clubs don't get half of this to to, to mm. discuss so the fact we've got all of this is is is, is great so yeah some 23 with us and there's just one more vote we need to do isn't there the big one <laughs> the actual proper big one head coach who's gonna, yeah who is numero uno who's mm. Tony Soprano Exactly, uh, two two big names as well. Dean Richards for the uh, for the homegrown, and Pat Howard, who would actually be player coach for the uh, for the imports. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I've, I'm intrigued to see because I obviously started watching Tigers just after the Dino era, so I didn't quite appre- get to appreciate it in all its glory. And I still maintain of all the years I've watched Tigers that Pat Howard second season of two thousand and six two thousand and seven. That squad he assembled, a, a cigarette paper away from winning a treble, which shows you the quality of how good a side he he assembled. That was a phenomenal Leicester team, um, but you can't really ignore Dino and four titles in a row and two European Cups. I mean, that's I've said this before. It is staggering how good that is. Yeah, it's one of those ones. Pat Howard's already playing. 
very capable assistant coach, but for me, uh, Dino takes this and he takes it by a stride. I, I I agree with you. As much as I love that year with Pat, you cannot argue against four league titles in a row. I mean, in a row. It's not just four league titles yeah. ever. It's in a row, plus two European Cups and just obliterating everyone that came before it. I mean, one of the great One of the great club sides, exactly. So we'll put that out to the vote this week and then that will round off our ultimate 15. Right, that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it, despite the fact we've not had any games to talk about uh, or men's rugby to look forward to. All that's left to say is good luck to the women at Twickenham this Sunday. We're all right behind you. Massively proud of you already, but be nice to bring home some silverware. And enjoy to everyone who's travelling down to go uh, to go and watch it. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the big day out. Absolutely. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>